0: I'm not sure if scripture records any time when Jesus was as angry as he was with the money changers in the temple. But I can almost guarantee you that there was never a time that the leadership, temple leadership was angrier than Jesus. You just don't disrupt business. huh? You can do whatever you want, say whatever you want. And as long as you don't mess around with the coins and the money changers and those who provide the sacrificial animals, then you don't bother them. But Jesus comes in and he pretty much turns the place upside down. Obviously, he was a person with great personal identity, and somebody who would not be deterred from the tasks that he was called to. And the disciples recalled, it says, the scriptures, zeal for your house will consume me. And it must have sickened Jesus each and every time that he came to the temple area. And that was pretty much every Passover, we could count on him being there, that he would see all of this commerce going on. We you know that uh, that was part of the Old Testament tradition that uh, that Christians were to abandon, by the way, soon after they were operating independently. But in the Jewish tradition, animals were sacrificed uh, as a conciliation with God for whatever it is that you were requesting. You would have a, a sh- sheep or doves or oxen or, or whatever that would be there for you to purchase. It would be, uh, give, its life would be taken on the altar and and you would have satisfied what is required in the law. Part of that, of course, too, was that where there was money to be made, there were money makers there. And one of the, the real challenges uh, in terms of of the almost criminal nature of, of the interaction between them was how much money was marked up, how uneven the exchange was between the people of that time who had the Roman coins, the denarius, uh, when they converted that, for the Jewish coin, the shekels. Because in order to satisfy the uh, uh, the... Wishes of those who uh, handled that kind of exchange—you had to purchase the sacrificial animal with shekels, and the exchange was brutal for those who were trying to get shekels for their denarius, and and the uh, the money changers themselves were were uh, enriching themselves. And so Jesus not only disrupts this system, he violates. But to the people, the leadership of the uh, temple, is a sacred space. This is a sacred activity that they're doing from their mindset. But Jesus, seeing all these things take place in the temple area, it says that he, with this whip of cords, keeps them away from him as he's spilling the coins onto the to the uh, floor level that where he's... Uh, uh, upsetting the tables where they're conducting their business. And for merchants, this is unacceptable. And, and can, you, can you just imagine them scrambling around, trying to pick up, which whose coin is that? Uh, where Which table did that come from? And, and all of the disruption that would have come from people who weren't expecting their day to be upset by this. But Jesus makes his feelings known, but now... In the eyes of the leadership, he's accountable. They say to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? Who do you think you are, huh? Come in here and cause this kind of disruption. And it's important, I think, uh, to remember that that, uh, Jesus himself uh, is kind of held above them in a lot of ways in the estimation of the people. Quite a a few people, quite a few scripture scholars suggest, even though this is early in the Gospel of John, that Jesus upsets the money changer uh, uh, tables in the temple uh, right after his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, when he's being recognized, Hosanna to the Son of David, and the palm branches are thrown in front of him. And it was during that approximately 10-day period that he challenged uh, the uh, the temple leaders uh, very strongly, but especially right at the beginning. This would have occurred right as he arrives in Jerusalem and causes this tumult there. But then, when they ask him, "What sign can you show us for doing this?" He steps ahead of him. You know, he says, "This temple." He says, "Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up." Now, we've come to understand in, in our faith that when he talks about the three days and the temple being restored, it's his own body. And of course, that's why the apostles recall it with, with quite, quite a bit of fervor, uh, recognizing, of course, that after his death, it was three days before the temple of his body was restored through the resurrection. And then uh, it, it speaks again to Jesus's mistrust of the people who he was dealing with in the, uh, the uh, in the temple leadership. But uh, it, it's a a good reminder to us of how face to face, almost toe to toe, Jesus was with the, uh, the temple leadership, and and how. Uh, absolutely determined he was to turn things around. Now, of course, what all of the Jews, those who were observant and those who were commercial uh, in their uh, attitude, all of them have the background, of course, of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. We, we heard about that in our first reading. And it's, I think it's uh, noteworthy for us that the Ten Commandments that we have separate into two groups. Those that deal with loving God and those that deal with loving one another. The first three commandments deal primarily with our love for God. That uh, that no one is above no God. uh, It's above the true God. uh, That the uh, Lord's name should not be spoken in vain. That we should honor the Sabbath. All three of those deal with our relationship with God. Well, then, our relationship with neighbor, because Jesus, of course, said that the two great commandments, love God and love our neighbor, the the last seven commandments really have to do with caring about our neighbor, even to the most intimate point of caring of our uh, mother and father, uh, and that, uh, that importance that we put on that. But then not to kill, not to... Uh, commit adultery, not to steal, not to bear false witness, not to covet uh, a person's wife or home. Uh, All of those things speak to loving our neighbor as ourselves. And of course, that's something that Jesus was continually not only teaching about, but expanding. You have been told this, uh, as he says about adultery, but when I say to you, anyone who looks lustfully upon a woman's sin, you've been told not to kill. Anyone who exchanges angry words with their brother and sister are liable. Uh, and so the, the, the sense of Jesus connected with the uh, the uh, Ten Commandments is very important, I think, uh, to recognize how he not only supports them, but, but again, expands upon them, helps us have even a fuller understanding. And lastly, I don't want to uh, ignore the, the second reading there because I think it speaks quite well to the difficulties that the missionaries would have faced Paul and Barnabas and Timothy. Because as Paul writes to the Corinthians, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified. That had to be hard for people who needed to see signs, needed to have a wisdom that they felt they understood. But he says, But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, Jews and Greeks alike, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Then he concludes For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. You have no way of comparing our wisdom, our strength with the divine. So good messages, I think, in all three readings. Gives us a a good perspective as we carry on through our Lenten season. And uh, I just invite you as we uh, continue to make that journey, and as we move toward the Holy Week and the Easter Triduum, to find your faith hopefully growing in the risen Jesus.